Welcome to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast presented by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emily Purcell. Each week for the next year, you'll hear an essay from our book read by the author. Igniting the Fire Within is a collection of stories of healing, hope, and humor, offering an insider's view into today's young breast cancer community. We compiled 50 essays from people diagnosed in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. There's medicine for each of us in these stories, whether you've been personally diagnosed with cancer or not. Wildfire stories in general, but especially the ones you'll hear from Igniting the Fire Within, are stories of transformation. Our storytellers experienced a shift in perspective as a result of something that happened to them. And the cancer diagnosis was not the thing that happened, or it wasn't the only thing. The cancer diagnosis was merely the catalyst for later changes that led our writers to understand the deep truths about the world. Each one of them learned lessons that showed them what it is to live, not just survive, in the glare of cancer. We believe deeply that the stories that change us aren't so much about what happened as they are about what came next. And hearing those stories, true stories of transformation, that's what ignites the fire within each of us. A listener note before we dive in, cancer is a salty business. Sometimes talking about it and the aftermath requires salty language. Listener discretion is advised. Today's storyteller is Bora Lee. Bora is a wife, mom, former journalist, and attorney. At 37, she was diagnosed with stage 1 ERPR positive breast cancer and the BRCA2 genetic mutation. Here is Bora Lee reading her essay titled, A Beggar in a Red Beret. When cancer was cut out of my life, then returned anyway, I booked a trip to Paris. There were lots of things said about this decision. Oh, Delta was having this crazy deal, I told everyone, which was true. Paris is a perfect end of chemo trip. You deserve it, everyone told me, which I tried to believe. What in the world are you doing An annoying little voice inside me asked, over and over, because a beggar going to Paris just didn't feel right. 1980-something. I think I was in third grade when those big brown boxes were delivered up our gravel driveway, past the chain-link fence that kept us safe from the stray neighborhood dogs. We never had any packages delivered to us before, so this was big. My parents brought them inside and quickly unwrapped those large, leather-bound books that said Britannica in gold letters across the binding. I sat on our mustard shag carpet and watched as they ran their hands across the covers and flipped through the crisp pages edged in gold. Their eyes squinted at the rows of tiny words they'd never read and marveled at photos of exotic birds and faraway castles. They arranged them proudly and sacredly in our living room. In meticulous order, of course. The gold and leather bricks stood regally next to our Bibles on mismatched bookshelves that leaned into the support of folded cardboard pieces wedged beneath them. Naturally, I was oblivious to the months of wages these fancy books cost and the priceless hope they held. But as I watched my parents, I knew, without understanding, that I had just witnessed something profound, significant. As I grew older, I continued filing away mental notes on these things my young brain instinctively knew to be significant. 
the same tired shoes my parents wore day after day while putting their daughters in shiny black Mary Janes. The camps they sent us to every summer, but rarely ever taking trips of their own. House or apartment hopping every few years to stay in the best school districts. Our tired maroon Ford Aerostar in a sea of Lexuses and BMWs in the school parking lot. This collection of childhood notes informed my decisions as an adult. I charted my course and set out on a mission to repay my parents for the sacrifices they made to provide their daughters the best chance for a better life. I wanted to show them that their worn-out shoes and chain-link fences were worth it. It was a mission they knew nothing about. 2019. Hubs and I grabbed our bags from the carousel and wrestled them breathlessly onto the metro, headed towards Les Marais District, our home base for the next few days. We settled into our seats, surrounded by overstuffed suitcases and humans in dark peacoats, puffy jackets. French conversations buzzed warmly around us as our train sped towards the city. Signs of spring were just barely budding outside the windows in high-speed flecks of green, yellow, white. Just weeks ago, I was sitting in a chemo chair. Today, I'm sitting on the Paris Metro. Cue goosebumps and a smile. I fell in love with Paris instantly. We sipped lattes in whimsy cafes while fiercely mocking their ridiculously tiny tables and chairs. Snuck in and out of walking tours, meandering down windy cobblestone lanes. Demanded paper-thin slices of shaved Comte on everything. Lingered past merchants selling old used books lined up against ancient stone bridges. Savored the sight and smell of baker's chimneys puffing at dawn. Even something about Parisian smokers made me smile. My senses soaked up every ounce, but those ounces grew heavy in my heart. I started to sink on day two. I watched the sunset over the Eiffel Tower as our tour boat drifted gently down the romantically blue Seine, myself just as blue. Our fellow passengers started shifting to the left side of the boat to ready their selfie poses for the magical moment when the Eiffel Tower would float into their shot. We got up and joined in on this obligatory ritual. Hubs angled my iPhone in the air and I stared into my reflection. What the heck are you doing here? I accused myself, grinning with teeth. Snap. You don't deserve Paris. My stomach grumbled in agreement. Snap. As I sat back down, conviction plummeted into my gut like an anchor. Paris is a dream I'm not allowed to have. My mind began to race, thinking of all the ways the money could have been used instead. More vitamin C infusions, helping pay off my ridiculous medical debt, a pot set aside for our son's college fund. I thought of my parents at home caring for our wild child so we could take this trip. I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. What do I do now? Guilt of every shape and color pooled into an ocean and dripped down black from the edges of my eyes. I see my parents at least once a year, twice if I'm lucky. Amma fills our home with animated stories, 
delicious stovetop aromas and the gentle hum of her voice singing Korean hymns at the cusp of dawn. Appa has a strong, comforting presence I love to be near, and a hundred silly catchphrases he generously tosses around to make us laugh. I love their warm, collective presence in our home. As the years pass, their visits grow more bittersweet. Every meal Amma makes for us in our kitchen while I lay in bed. Every unsolicited bag of overpriced organic groceries Appa brings home from the store. Every secret stash of money they hide in our guest room just before heading out to the airport so we won't refuse their gift. These constant reminders that after all these years, they're still making financial and personal sacrifices for me. It breaks my heart because 40, to me, is definitely some kind of official threshold where the baton is passed and it's my turn now to care for them. It's their turn for rest. But cancer keeps taking all my stuff, you know? My time, my energy, our money, especially our money. My hands stretch before my sweet parents holding nothing but deficits. Buckets filled with holes. Was their suffering and sacrifice worth this? Despite the encyclopedias and private schools and their vacationless summers, cancer has still left their daughter a beggar. Not literally, I know. I'm rich in so many things and so thankful for the blessings I have. But when it comes to time and money, cancer has left me with so little to give and so many, many needs. So what right does a beggar like me have to indulge in the magic of Paris? Sunday, April 7, 8.47 p.m. Eat well and have lots of fun in Paris, okay? Don't worry about anything or feel bad about the money. We love you. Sunday, April 7, 8.50 p.m. Thank you, Amma. We love you guys so much. And there you have it. Cancer gives this beggar no right to indulge, but love gives this beggar the privilege too. What a beautiful thing. The precious privilege to be walking the streets of Paris, a beggar in a red beret. I'm Emily Purcell, and you've been listening to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn. Check us out at wildfirecommunity.org to order your copy of the book so you can read along each week. You'll also find our magazine and storytelling workshops there. Big thanks to our producer, Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant, Monica Haro. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. If you like what you hear, tell your best friend, tell your mom, tell your oncologist. I mean, really tell everyone you know. Or head into your podcast app and leave us a starred review to help others find their way to igniting their own fire within. Fire within.